let's go. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Chapter number four. We've been in this. We're in between series right now. We're getting our house in order, dealing with membership issues and duties of a faithful Christian. And so we've laid out a case for membership in the local church, and God is doing great things in the Bridge Church by way of membership. But then we're, we've been looking at what are the responsibilities of members? What are there, and these are not just responsibilities of members only, but these are responsibilities of Christians. These are our Christian duties, how we worship the Lord. And so we looked a couple of weeks at worshiping, worshiping the Lord through our giving and being generous. And so today I want us to look at something else that we here at the Bridge Church expect of members, and that's community. And so that leads us this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter number four. We'll read verses seven through 12. Ecclesiastes, chapter number four, verses seven through 12. As is our custom, let's stand in honor and reverence of God's holy word. Ecclesiastes chapter number four, beginning with verse number seven. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other either son or brother. Yet there is no end to all his toil. His eyes are never satisfied with riches. So that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. How can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may have your seat. Beloved, we live in a culture now that worships at the altar of privacy. This has become a core value of an individualistic culture. Unfortunately, this value of privacy has invaded and infected the church. And as a result, there is an epidemic of loneliness which has led to depression, 
despair, suicidal thoughts, and even suicide. Beloved, this was never how God intended for his people to live. We were created to thrive in relationships with others. And it, it is this problem of isolation that the preacher, Kohelet, Solomon, deals with beginning in Ecclesiastes chapter number four, beginning in verses seven and eight. Look with me first of all at the problem in our text. The problem, here's the problem. The writer says to us essentially that life is meaningless and miserable when you experience it alone. Life is meaningless and miserable when you experience it alone. Verse 7, the preacher says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. When he says under the sun, that means on the earth. And here is what he saw. One who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So he wakes up one day and says, for whom am I working so hard? And depriving myself of pleasure. This is vanity and an unhappy business. Here's the problem. One person who has no other. That's literally translated. There is one and not a second. This man is alone and by himself. He has no one else. And that's an intentional choice. This person has chosen to be a workaholic and accumulating wealth over building intentional life-giving and life-sustaining relationships with others. Look, look at what this man has done. He's traded people for possessions. He's valued riches over relationships. He spent most of his time toiling rather than making time for friends. He's forfeited family for finances. And what has this led to? The text says that his eyes are never satisfied with riches. So he's discontent. Riches could never fill the void of the desire for meaningful relationships. The more money he made, the more unsatisfied he became. He realized at some point that his life was all work and no play. He never made time for fun. He deprived himself of pleasure. He never made time to enjoy the fruit of his labor. His isolation led to discontentment. Not only did it lead to discontentment, but it also led to depression. The New Living Translation translates the last sentence of verse 8 by saying, it is also meaningless and depressing. His was a miserable life. 
It was vanity, the writer says. That word vanity means empty, meaningless, weightless, worthless. He has spent so much time alone working and working and working and never making time for others. And his life ended up being meaningless and unhappy. You may be wondering this morning, since y'all are quiet, I'm sure you have questions. Why is isolation and loneliness such a problem? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you a few reasons. Isolation is a problem first because it defies the creator's intent for his creation. It defies the, the, the creator's intent for his creation. Remember that in the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image. And being created in the image of God means that he created us to be relational beings. After all, that is how God exists. God himself exists in community. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they all love one another and they glorify one another. So then, to be a faithful image bearer then is to live in community. Image bearing, beloved, necessitates human relationships. We were created for community. So living in isolation defies God's intent for his people to bear his image. Isolation is also a problem because God says it's a problem. We can go right back to the beginning. If we remember Genesis 1, God is creating and he creates the plants and he creates all, everything in the universe, the animals, the fish, everything. And after he creates, here's what he says. It was good. Looked at the plants, it was good. Looked at the lion, it is good. Looked at the fish of the sea, it was good. Looked at the heavens and the earth, it was good. He looked at man, the crown of creation, and, and the female that God put with the man. And he looked at him, he said, it was good. But then when we go back to Genesis 2, the, the, the author steps back and he sh shows us a time when it was just man by himself, Adam. And when he looks at Adam, he pronounces his first not good. God himself says it is not good for man to be alone. God had a plan and a purpose for Adam and the fulfillment of that plan and purpose required companionship, relationship, and fellowship. God says isolation is a problem. Isolation is also a problem because it doesn't make sense of the metaphors of the church. Here's a couple of metaphors that are used for the church. One is family. I'm reminded in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus, someone came to Jesus and said, here, your mothers and your brothers are looking for you. And Jesus responded to him and said, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Then he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. 
No individual by themselves in isolation makes up a family. To be a family requires relationships. But not only do we have the metaphor of family, but we also have the metaphor of the household. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Another problem with isolation is that it prevents us from carrying out the one another commands of Scripture. Isolation prevents us from carrying out the one another commands of Scripture. And beloved, hear what I said. They are commands. Our response to a command is to obey. To disobey is sin. So when we live in isolation, rather than having meaningful relationships, we cannot carry out the commands such as these. Love one another, be hospitable to one another, welcome one another, be devoted to one another, build up one another, admonish one another, bear one another's burdens, look to the interest of one another, comfort one another, confess your sins to one another. Ain't nobody doing that. Encourage one another. All of these are commands to be carried out by God's people. And we cannot do that in isolation. So that's the problem of isolation. Thankfully, the author doesn't leave us with just a problem, but he gives us, secondly, the solution. Let's look at the solution together. He says in verse 9, two are better than one. There's the solution. Two are better than one. In other words, companionship is better than loneliness. Now, let me make something very sure. Oftentimes when we think about companionship, we immediately think of intimate relationships. But that's not how I'm using this idea of companionship. It's having one alongside of you. And I, and I bring up this point because you can be single and satisfied. This is not about being single or married. This is about having meaningful Christian relationships with other believers. You can be single and still committed to community. And I know some of the singles in this church know it because they have girls' night out. <laughs> oh, Lord. I don't want to know what y'all do. Just keep hanging. Lord Jesus, be with them. He says two are better than one. And when we look at the B clause of verse 9, he says, he gives us a few illustrations of how two are better than one. He says, first of all, when you're working, two are better than one. He says, because they have a good reward for their toil. In other words, he says, if there are two working together rather than just one, you have a greater reward and you work less. Two people are more productive than one. And so, essentially, when there are two, there you have greater efficiency and greater effectiveness. 
He says you have a better return on your labor. And it can be more profitable as well. You have a good reward from your toil. But he said not only from your when you're working, but two are better than one when you're walking too. Look at the text, verse 10. He says, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. The writer has in mind here two people uh, going on a journey. And this is what you have to understand. Journeys in the ancient Near East could be very hazardous. A person could fall into a pit or over a cliff. The only hope of rescue was a partner. And the person who has friends and companions has someone to help them in the time of difficulty. Beloved, here's the reality. None of us are exempt from falling as we navigate this Christian journey. No matter how long you've been walking, no matter how disciplined you are, no matter how experienced you are, no matter how careful you are, don't think you can't fall. Solomon gives us a dire warning here in the second sentence of verse 10. He says, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Woe is oftentimes we see that in, in, in times of prophecy. When we look at the, the prophets, they would announce a woe, some sense of destruction or judgment or warning that was coming. And Solomon borrows from the prophets to announce that, that, that when you don't have another person walking alongside of you, that is self-destructive behavior. And beloved, in this life, we all will face difficult situations and circumstances. You may fall. And as sure as you may fall, you need to be sure you have somebody who can lift you up. I've told you this before. At the height or, or actually at the bottom of my depression, one of the reasons it took me longer to come out of it is because I tried to go at it all on my own. I was in a pit, and I didn't invite others before I got into the pit who could come and lift me up. He gives us another example of why when two are better than one, he gives us an example of warmth. Verse 11 says again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Again, think of two people who are traveling. Night would come and they would have to rest. And at nighttime, it would get cold. The only way for them to be warm was to lie beside one another and take advantage of one another's body heat. Beloved, the reality is that sometimes life will leave you in the cold and you will need friendship, support, encouragement to warm you up when life leaves you in the cold. And I, I'm a, I can testify to that this morning. Pastoring y'all ain't always easy. 
Actually, it's not y'all. It's, well, never mind. And, and, I've, and I've felt at times that I've been left in the cold. But thanks be to God, I had community, the elders who said, we've got your back. We support you. You keep going on. And they encouraged me. When I felt cold and lonely, the, I had the community of the elders to go and warm me up. But I'm experiencing that even now in my small group, in my bridge group. My wife and I have opened up to our group. And our group has, when we've been feeling like we've been left out in the cold in different situations. And our group has been there to warm us up. And I'm thankful for that. Finally, he gives us another example of watch care. Verse 12, he says, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, Two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. There's safety and protection when you have meaningful relationships with others. See, you've got to think about this traveler again. It could be dangerous to travel alone. Bandits or even a wild animal could attack a traveler. And then that traveler would be left for dead. And beloved, like, like, like that traveler, there will be attacks in this life. They may not all be physical attacks, but there will be spiritual attacks. That's why the Apostle Paul told the Ephesians to put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Beloved, in case you didn't know, Satan has it out for you. Satan and his legion of demons are strategically working to undermine and overthrow your commitment to Jesus Christ. There will be times when your faith is attacked. Pastor H.B. Charles says that there are some attacks you cannot face on your own. There are some battles you cannot fight on your own. There are some enemies you cannot defeat on your own. There, there are some attitudes you cannot change on your own. There are some habits you cannot break on your own. There are some problems that you cannot solve on your own. There are some needs you cannot meet on your own. You need help when trouble comes. That's the problem. That's the solution. So what? What's the application? Let me give it to you and we'll get out of here. And we can beat the Baptists to brunch. <laughs> and give the Catholics a run for their money too. All right. Here's the application. Y'all crazy. Um, first of all, beloved, in order to put this in practice, I think first of all, we need to create margin for friendships and relationships in our life. Many of us don't have friends or we don't live in community because we are just too daggum busy. I was with my brother Abe yesterday and I was, I had something I wanted to run by him and propose to him. I said, I know you're busy. He said, oh, we all have the same amount of time. Well, thank you, Abe. Gotta preach. We have the same 24 hours that the traveler had in the ancient Near East. 
And we actually have it better because we can actually do stuff at nighttime when it's dark. They didn't have electricity. We do. But yet we are oftentimes too busy. Are we like this man who we don't have meaningful relationships because we spend all of our time working? Now, let me make something very clear. The Bible, nor your pastor, is against hard work. But what the text is saying, it's not necessarily about working harder. It's about working smarter, too. That's why two are better than one. So my question to you is, why, why are you so busy that you can't have meaningful relationships? Whatever is keeping you so busy, ask yourself, is it necessary? So much so that I have to put myself on a possible path of destruction by going at life alone. Oftentimes, we're busy because our kids keep us busy. I, I, I get it. I'm with you. I've got one that I take to the west side of town every morning for babysitting. I have another that is in basketball, has practiced twice a week, and when she's not practicing, she's babysitting somewhere the other couple of nights a, a, a week. I've got another that works uh, doing mowing, and I've got to take him uh, and his partner around doing mowing, and then he has basketball. Uh, and so uh, kids keep us busy. I get it. But maybe if your kids are the ones that are keeping you so busy because they have so many extracurricular activities, maybe you need to say, we're going to commit to one to, or two extracurricular activities because this is a value of ours, community that is. Create margin in your life. So maybe you need to cut out some stuff to have meaningful relationships. Secondly, connect, connect, connect with others. Beloved, today you're, you need to put some faith in yourself and others and God and take a risk and start to cultivate friendships with other believers. Trying to make friends is risky business. Zig Ziglar said, if you go out looking for friends, you'll find that they are very scarce. But if you go out to be a friend, you'll find them everywhere. Most of us are just waiting to be pursued. Maybe the problem is you're not the one doing the pursuing. And I'll go ahead and confess to y'all, I'm preaching to myself right now. Whoa. <laughs> I'll admit, I'll confess. And I tell everybody who wants to be my friend or who is my friend, I am a terrible friend. <laughs> See, that's why you didn't make the cut. <laughs> Listen, I, I, I don't call regularly. I don't text regularly. I won't email you. If you ask me to meet up, I'll be busy. 
I'll forget your birthday. If I'm all peopled out and I see you in public, I may avoid you. I'm terrible. I'm telling y'all, I'm confessing. I am a terrible friend. And sometimes a word, <laughs> not, not so good pastor either. And so this word has convicted me this morning. As I've been preparing this and writing this to say, Brandon, two are better than one. Companionship is better than loneliness. And so I've got to figure out a way to find the energy and the time. Who is this yes in me? <laughs> to have meaningful relationships because community matters. Two are better than one. And there may be some of you in this room or on this live stream who are like Brandon. You're a terrible friend. Or maybe you value privacy. That is not a value of the kingdom of heaven. Faith is always personal, but it's never private. You can also connect by being part of groups here at the church. We've got bridge groups. We've got women's Bible study groups. We've got discipleship groups. And in these groups, you will find fellowship, support, encouragement, admonishment, and accountability. We need friends, church. We need community. Finally, there may be someone here today who the third point of application for you is you need to come to Christ. Christ, hallelujah, is a friend of sinners. You can't out the love and grace of God. Where sin abound, grace abounded all the more. And Jesus comes inviting you to have a meal at his table. And beloved, the hymn writer would say this, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. Jesus is a friend that will stick closer than a brother. I'm reminded of a situation, I've told y'all about this before, but since y'all forget my sermons, I'll go ahead and use it again. I remember there was a time when I was an adolescent, which wasn't that long ago, by the way. And went down the street, I was playing with a friend at the time, and his older brother took out a BB gun and start shooting at us. And he got me once or twice. And he got me right in the arm. And it, and it left a wound there. So I went home and, you know, I had my He-Man shirt on, and which left my muscles exposed. And my mom and my brother happened to see that I had this wound on my arm. And they said, what happened to you? I said, my friend's older brother was shooting BB guns at us. Well, my older brother didn't like that. And my older brother, he's a big boy, 6'6", filled, filled out really well. And so my big brother went down the street 
and had a talk with my friend's older brother and let him know he better not ever put his hands on his little brother ever again. Oh, you know I went back down that street with my He-Man shirt on. Let them know, you know who I am. I'm Tor's little brother. And that day I, I felt like I could conquer the world. I didn't have to be afraid of anything because of my big brother. Beloved, that, com that doesn't compare to the big brother we have in Jesus Christ. Because my big brother, he took my penalty and my punishment from me. My big brother, Jesus, went to the cross for me. <laughs> and now sin ain't got nothing on me. Now death has nothing on me because of my big brother. And so somebody needs to come to Christ. Come on, worship team. This morning, how, how can I be a friend of Christ? a friend of Christ that leads to everlasting life. He has done all the work on the cross. He has died in your place. He's taken the brunt of the wrath of God. And that same Jesus was buried in the grave. But he rose victoriously from the grave with all power in his hands. Christ has done all the work it takes to be right with God. All you do by, is respond by faith, putting all of your trust and confidence and hope in Jesus Christ and him alone. Not being a good person, not doing good things, those will never be good enough. If you go to heaven and meet uh, God for, in, uh, at the time of judgment and you bring all your good works before him, he will tell you they are simply as filthy rags. He'll give you another not good, not good enough. The only thing that can make you right with God is Jesus Christ and him alone. And so somebody this morning, you need to put all of your trust, hope, confidence, and dependence in Jesus Christ and him alone. Come to Christ. And as you come to Christ, when you come to Christ, when you put all your trust and hope in Jesus Christ, you now become a part of the family of God. You now have a new community, one new man called the church. Now, we're a jacked up community right now. We're not what we will be. We are a mess. We've got family issues. But our Savior is a perfect Savior. He's making us like him. If you believe in Jesus Christ today, will you let us know by way of a bridge card? And we want to connect with you, talk with you through this life-changing decision and work with you on the next steps to being a fully devoted follower of Christ. And community is a big part of that. We want to get you connected to a local church. We'd love to have you at the bridge, but if this is not the community for you, we will help you find a community that's right for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for challenging us this morning to lean into community, to stop living in isolation, 
value privacy. Not to value community. With all the risks that come with it, all the challenges that come with it. Father, we are thankful this morning that we can call ourselves friends of God because we've been made right with you through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. For that person in this room or on the stream who may not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, Holy Spirit, do a work in their heart right now. Convict them and convince them of their sinfulness and their need for a Savior so that they come crying, what must I do to be saved? And they hear clearly, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.